Anyway, uh, I got a phone call from Janet, and she was asking me about Cliff. Cliff, um, don't want to give the last name, but it doesn't make a difference. Cliff was a childhood, is a childhood friend of mine. We met each other at age six. And um, anyway, I, I knew that Cliff was ill, but I didn't realize that he had just moved into hospice, um, home hospice. And so I gave old Cliff a call, and we were chatting and just reminiscing, had a great, great conversation. And then Debbie and I just decided to get in the car and not drive to Corpus Christi about eight years ago, Cliff and Donna moved to Yellville, Arkansas. And if you know Cliff, that's the perfect place to be. I thought, where in the world is Yellville? But it was close to the, it is close to the Buffalo River, and over the years, Cliff uh, had spent a lot of time on the river. Anyway, so we made a trip, and we had a wonderful time with Cliff. I can tell you that before I left, before we got on the road, I sat down with a blank piece of paper, um, I think in the bird chair, you've heard me talk about that chair before, and I just jotted down some thoughts on friendship. Not my own, you know, they were my personal thoughts, but I really wanted to text, and so in just a moment, we'll look at Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12, and I think it'll fit well. But as an opening, I thought I would uh, just let you know about the person uh, very quickly, who um, who kind of prompted the message. Like I said, Cliff and I go back to age six. He, His folks and my folks, and Debbie was there too, by the way. She was not six. She was three. But anyway, so Deb's known Cliff since he was six as well. Um, anyway, there were about four or five families in this little bitty Church of Christ on the south side of Corpus Christi under a tent. We met for I don't know how many it seemed like forever, but then, you know, when you're six years old, who cares? I thought it was really quite exciting. We met in a tent until they built the first building. But uh, Cliff and I would often go out to Padre Island together, and we had other friends who would join us on occasion. We would, this really makes my parents look bad, and perhaps his too, but I promise you that life was so much safer then for a young person and there was nobody on the island hardly, you know, a handful of fishermen maybe. So um, we were just, uh, we were about, I don't know, maybe 10 to 15 miles from the, from the surf. So we would grab our poles and sometimes a pup tin, and we would, during the summertime, would hitchhike out to the island, age 13, 14, stay a couple of nights and hitchhike back. Um, and it really was quite safe. We would hitchhike out there and fish in the surf, and by the way, the King Ranch at the time was over a million acres. I looked it up just recently, and it's 975,000 acres the King Ranch has, one of the largest ranches in the world, but they pretty much dominate all of South Texas, including, including all around Corpus Christi and Kingsville, all the way down to the valley. And uh, they had, of course, an open range. And even though we talk about Padre Island, the fact is there were inlets all over so you could drive on to the island. You know, before that, it really was an island, I'm sure, uh, centuries ago. But every now and then, the cows would uh, end up on the beach. And I can tell you um, firsthand that, you know, two 14-year-old boys in a pup tent and a cow in the tent, uh, the cow always wins. 
But anyway, so Cliff and I just reminisced. We had a good time. Um, then, actually, after high school, we went to elementary school together, and then junior high, we called it, 7, 8, and 9, now middle school, 6 through 8, and our high schools were 10 through 12 at the time, even though your grades began at 9th, 9th grade. But we went to Cork Elementary and Baker Junior High and, and, and Mary Carroll High School, and then after high school, and um, I went a year, I'm only a month older, but uh, for whatever reason, I was a grade ahead, and... Um, so in 1968, we both enlisted. I enlisted in the Air Force. And um, after some tech training, we're both teenagers now, after some tech training, I was sent to Carmicell um, on the Sea of Marmara, Black Sea, um, and end up on the border of the Soviet Union. Cliff enlisted in the Army and uh, was sent to Vietnam. He was the point man for his squad, ends up with the Purple Heart and a lifetime of struggle. By the way, that's another reason that um, this, this is not about me or Cliff or anyone else. This is about the text and it's about friendship. I think that's up there. Yeah, friendship. It'll be fine. You, you know me. You know. Now, what I want to do is I want to read a text. In a moment, I mean, it's already been read by Mason. But I feel like I need to kind of set this text up before any of the points make any sense. Um, so we're going to kind of do it from memory, and then I'm going to read it on the screen here, and then we're going to press. Solomon, wise King Solomon, um, is talking about friendship. And it's not just talking about Cliff and me. He's talking about me and you, and you and you, and we all have such good friends. We're not talking about evil companions. Not every companion is a friend. In fact, Proverbs 18, 24, Solomon says, there are friends who pretend to be friends, and then there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Those are the friends that God wants us to nourish, to to uh, cultivate, to cherish, um, and to pray for the friends. Jesus says in John 15, 13, in fact, he says it, he uses the word friend three times in three verses. He says in John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, he said, if you, if you do what I say, because he realized what he was telling them was so, was absolutely perfect truth, and if they implement it, they and everyone around them would be, would be godly. So we're talking about godly friends. And then the Lord says, Jesus says in John 15, 15, he'll say, I don't call you servant. And the word in Greek there in the Greek text is doulas, means slave. He said, I don't call you servant, 
I call you friend. And by the way, the reason I bring the text up off the spot here, on the spot, is because the word friend in John 15 and in the Greek text um, is philos. You've heard the, the verb phileo to love. It's a familial love, not agape. That's unconditional, godly love. And I think only the Lord can do that perfectly. But we, not only agape, you know, agapeo, we, but we have this phileo. We have this, we have this familia, family love. And Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for the one who loves him and the one to whom he loves. I don't call you servants. I call you the one who loves me and the one I love. And it's a very special word that John uses in the fourth gospel. At any rate, Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 will say something like, two are better than one. If they fall, one will lift up the other. Uh, if two lie together, they are warm, but how can one be warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A cord of three, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now what Solomon is referencing is traveling. And that's why we have to put this in its context before I go any further. He's talking all about physical. But obviously, we would apply it not just to the physical, we apply it to the emotional and the spiritual. Friendship is more than, than just uh, protecting someone physically. But keep in mind, that's what Solomon is doing. He makes three very good points. He begins in verse 9 by saying, two are better than one. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. The roads, and if you've ever traveled through the Middle East, or ev for that matter, pretty much anywhere in the world, certainly in the third world, roads are treacherous. They are like the back roads here in Tennessee. If you travel them at night and you're walking, it's very probable, not just possible, very probable that you'll, that you'll uh, sprain an ankle. You might even break a leg. And that was commonplace among traveling uh, around Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, Edomia, Phoenicia, you know, all the, the entire region, it was very common practice that when you traveled from town to town, you did your very best to grab a friend and travel with you. And Solomon, talking about friendship, uses the metaphor of traveling. The roads are treacherous. And the nights are cold. If you've ever been in the desert, you don't even have to leave the states. Go out to the Sonoran Desert in Arizona, California. Stay there overnight or two or three. Camp out. The days are hot and the nights are cold. Typical uh, arid weather, typical desert-type weather. Solomon's people understood that. So Solomon, in, in, in his rationale here, uh, talking about friendship, he'll say, if two lie together, they are warm. Very frequently when they travel, they traveled very light. And they're not traveling by wagon or even horseback. They're traveling by their feet. They're walking. So they have a knapsack around their body somewhere, probably a single blanket. 
And one of the reasons to travel together was not only because the road was treacherous, and if somebody broke a leg, they had to have somebody there to lift them up. That's why Solomon begins, two are better than one. He'll conclude in verse 12, three are better than two. Makes complete sense. Not only is the road treacherous, the nights were cold. So what did you do at night? You didn't sleep separately. You took the single blanket. You came together. I've been there. You come together and you wrap up. You have body heat. Two are better than one. Talks about falling. If two lie together, they are warm. But how can one be warm alone? And then he concludes with, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. Not only were the roads treacherous and the nights were cold, but they were dangerous. You had bandits, you had thieves, and when you travel together, if a if a bandit on the roadside wants whatever you have in your purse, he could probably overcome one, but overcoming two is more of a challenge. And then Solomon concludes, and a three-fold cord, a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. It's a beautiful text, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. That's the setup. That's the context. And what we'll be talking about on all three points, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10, Ecclesiastes 4, 11, and Ecclesiastes 4, 12, talking about friendship. Not just the physical part of friendship, but all the others that go with it. So let's just read the text. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they are warm. But how can one be warm alone? And though a man, an enemy, might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Isn't that a beautiful text? From God, through Solomon, but from the Lord. The Lord is telling each one of us, each one of us, that a true friend will lift you up when you fall. A true friend will keep you warm in this cold, dreary, mean, evil world we live in. And a true friend will protect you, both your reputation and your person if needed. That's what friendship is is all about. And we understand that. I know you do. This is the old preaching to the choir moment, but in fact, I know you get it. I just wanted to write about it because of Cliff. Okay, so we start. A friend lifts you up when you're down. Two are better than one, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Do you remember the text in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus is in the house of a Pharisee And it must have been a wealthy Pharisee, um, and the house is so crowded, and there are so many people in the courtyard that this paralyzed friend, man, with four of his buddies with him, on they're carrying the stretcher and the paralytics lying on the lying on the stretcher, and they want his friends want to get their buddy to the to the healer to Jesus. 
but they can't break through the crowds. Now, I don't know about you, but I suspect some friends who weren't really best friends might say, well, we tried, we tried. But the story that unfolds in Luke chapter 5 is a story of five best friends. We normally focus on Jesus healing, but think about the friends who carried him. What did they do? They couldn't break through the crowds. The crowds wouldn't let him, wouldn't let them break through. So what are they? They climb on top of the house. How do you climb, even though we are talking about flat level roofs, how do you climb on top of a house carrying a friend, carrying a paralytic, and the stretcher, and apparently ropes? Because they had a plan. Their plan was to remove the thatched roof and lower their friend down to Jesus. And when they did that, Jesus looks at this and he's overwhelmed. Our Lord got overwhelmed quite a bit too. It's not just me or not just you. You know, Jesus wept more than once. We only have it recorded once, but don't you know that either out of joy and happiness or sometimes sadness. In any case, Jesus sees this, and you know what he says? He says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, no one said anything according to Luke, but the teachers of the law were thinking, who is this who forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus read their minds. He knew their hearts. He knew what they were thinking. So he turns to them and he said, which is harder, to say your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? But just to show you that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, he turns to the paralytic and he says, Young man, take up your bed and walk. Go home. And he leapt. Is that a word? He leaped off the stretcher. A paralyzed man. Now, what do you think his buddies were thinking? Man, <laughs> they were beside themselves. <laughs> they were giddy. Who cares about the stretcher or the ropes? Don't you know that they just jumped off the house and the first chance they got? I, I don't know about you. I, I actually, I do. I know about you. There, there are moments when we just need to take friends to Christ in prayer maybe physically to the building. I don't know if that's where they want to come and they can't get there any other way. So it's understandable that a true friend lifts up a friend. <clears throat> this, uh, that a friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. There was a British publication years ago that ran a contest uh, in the United Kingdom asking the 
citizens asking the people to offer to give them their definition of a friend. And apparently thousands came in, and they must have had a team of judges, but this is the one that won. A friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. I read a story recently, and I think I can get through it. It's just a story. But, you know, we always make application. It's really, you know, that's where, um, you know, that's where life comes from, applying other people's stories. But the story is told, I read it, about in World War I, that would be about 1917. America entered the war, I think, in 16. It was over in 18. So anyway, during that period of time, two buddies um, who had been raised together uh, enlisted together, same, same service, not like Cliff and I, two buddies enlisted in the army together around 1915 or 16. Uh, they trained together, which is very common, and when you train together, you're normally shipped out together, and they end up in France, in the trenches in France. One of them was named Jim, and the other is unnamed in the story. Um, apparently, in this trench warfare, um, Jim's best friend was mortally wounded just a few feet away, but, you know, with the crossfire from the German forces, and it was just a killing field for both sides, whoever, whoever was out there. Um, these are Americans, you know, fighting for the Allies. And anyway, he sees his friend uh, mortally wounded. So he decides to go to him, of course, but his sergeant in the trench grabbed the back of his jacket and pulled him back and said, he's dying and you'll be dead. No way. It's not worth it. But the moment he turned his back, then Jim gets up and he goes. He goes out to his friend. He's shot. He drags him back in the trench and the sergeant is just beside himself. He says, okay, he's dead and you're dying. Was it worth it? And he said, oh yeah, Sarge. The only thing he said was, I knew you'd come, Jim. A friend uh, lifts you up when you're down. Now this one, we're talking, Solomon is talking physical, but it's so applicable to everything in life. If two lie together, they are warm, but how can one be warm alone? A friend provides comfort. You know that. You've provided comfort so many times to me, to Debbie, and hopefully we have to you, and to each other. That's what friends do. And some of you go back as far as Cliff and I. I know. <laughs> I've talked with you. Some of you go back a long, long time, right? All the way back to your childhood days. And you know what I'm talking about. You know, we're talking about childhood friends, whether in America or any other place in the world. A friend is a friend. Proverbs 12, 25 writes, you know, Solomon, once again, Solomon, we're sort of on Solomon today. Solomon writes in Proverbs 12, 25, an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word builds him up. And that's what friends do. A friend lifts you when you're down, and a friend provides comfort and warmth in a world that is so often cold 
and evil. C.S. Lewis defines friends, friendship as, he says, friendship is born, is this true or what? Friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Now, in order to reach that point, you have to get to know someone. And the more that you know someone, you're thinking, man, you're just like I am. Not the good, the bad. All the warts, all the chinks in the armor. The reason friends are stick closer than a brother is because they see every wart. You can't help it when, you, when you're that close. Irma Bombeck writes, A friend is someone who thinks you're a good egg even though you're a little cracked. <laughs> I like them both. My favorite's Lewis, though. Okay, a friend provides warmth. A friend lifts you up. And I'll tell you something, church. A friend will always protect you. We're not only talking about physical, but that's got to be a part of it. Solomon was. That's why he said, and though a man might prevail against one, two will withstand him. So he's making reference to fisticuffs. He's making reference to protecting somebody physically. But it goes far beyond that. A friend will protect you. I encourage you this morning to think about all your friends because one's protection is greater than um, just physically protecting another. Although I do think that that's to play, you know, not just the military, but especially in the military, but even beyond that. You know, we have a security team right here. I think they're doing that because they just, you know, like to, I don't know, carry a gun? Of course not. They're doing it because we live in a crazy, wacko, evil, demonic world. And there are devilish people out there who want to hurt you and me. And so we have friends physically protecting us. Don't ever let that go unnoticed. It's true. But the protection goes beyond the physical. The protection goes to one's reputation and character. I had a great story I was going to share, but in all honesty, I just don't think I can get through it, so I'm not. But I can tell you that reputation is everything. And so, when we hear even a friend, or certainly an acquaintance, whenever we hear somebody badmouth another, for whatever reason, we need to simply step in lovingly and let them know, cease and desist. Stop. You're talking about my friend. And I'm not going to tolerate this malignment, even if it's in jest. A lot of humor guises evil, even in jest. So what would a friend do? Stop it. Stop it. Even the, whether it's the foyer, the corridors, the building, the streets, whether it's somebody here or someone at work, we're the only ones, friends, do not allow other people, even other friends, speak badly about a friend. James says in James 3, 6, the tongue is a fire. It is an unrighteous world among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the cycle of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. With the tongue, we bless and curse. 
and the two are incompatible for God's people. Friendship, a friend, a true friend, will lift you up when you're down. A true friend provides comfort when you're in need, and a true friend will protect you, will fight for you. I had more I was going to say, but I think we're going to kind of bring it to a close. I want you to know, I've shared this story one time, and I'm going to share it again, but I kind of want to finish it. It's about Cliff, but I think it will draw it all together, and, um, you know, I'll do fine, I think. That's Padre, by the way. We would often, I mean, it all looks the same, to be honest with you. <clears throat> but we would, we would, but the dunes were close, and so a lot of surf fishing. And uh, even low and high tide, it never reached the dunes for high tide. We would pitch a tent, or we'd camp under the stars, not where he's walking, that would be a little too close. We'd back up close to the dunes, never in the dunes. There were coyotes and, and, um, <laughs> and the King Ranch cows. But anyway, that's where we'd normally go to fish. I can tell you that, um, and I shared this before, that when my father died, and by the way, my dad was a dad to him too. My dad, you know, and it's like Cecil was a dad to me, Cliff's dad. Anyway, on July the 5th, 2002, when dad died, um, I came home from, from Hawaii. I was, Debbie and I flew back, and we had the funeral. I forgot the date, to be honest with you. I should know it. I only know the day he died. But it was probably, I don't know, maybe a week later, they had to wait for me. And we had the funeral, and Buck did the service. Buck was our preacher, their preacher at Windsor Park. And a lot of good eulogies. I couldn't speak. I spoke at Mother's. I couldn't speak at Dad's. And um, it used to bother me a lot. It bothers me less now. I'm getting out anyway. I mean, I'm leaving <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, so after the funeral, Cliff drives to our house. Now, I'm in a suit, you know, very dad. Actually, I'm in my, a very dad in my uniform. That's right, very dad in the uniform. That's what he would have wanted. And I was active duty. I took the uniform off and I put on whatever I had, I don't know, jeans or something. And I don't know, just a few minutes later, Cliff drives up, and he's in his old pickup. He lived in Corpus Christi at the time, and he drove up, and he said, hop in, hop in, Mike. I said, ah, Cliff, I don't want to go anywhere. Come on, Whit, get in, get in. I said, okay, okay, okay. So I get in the truck, and we drive out right about there. Now, at the back of the bed, he had golf balls and a couple of uh, irons that he bought at a pawn shop. I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, and he just shoved all those balls on the sand and gave me an old iron. <laughs> I don't know what it was. It was ancient. And, uh, and I just started hitting balls. And Cliff shared good words. Eulogia. All the stories about dad that Cliff had remembered, and there were as a lifetime of stories, because dad never moved, and to that moment, Cliff had never moved. So they live yards away 
Dad watches this guy from he grew up with or he knew as a little boy, went to Karankawa Boy Scout camp. Dad was the scoutmaster. He was there when Cliff came back from Vietnam, beat up physically and, wow, really mentally. We don't need to send this out. We need to, after this, we, let's not get this online. <laughs> anyway, um, so I was hitting golf balls. Boom, boom, boom. And the, 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 the point is, the best eulogies of the day was Cliff. The best good words and the other guys loved Dad, too. But the best good words were there. Now, for the rest of the story, Cliff hated golf. <laughs> he thought it was a stupid game. Really, he never played anything that bounced. He was the outdoorsman, fished and hunt and backpacked and camped, and that was half of my childhood. The other half was football and baseball and basketball, and I had other buddies, but not Cliff. But if I wanted to do this, that was Cliff. It would have made more sense to me had he had a couple of rods and reels in the back and would have been surf fishing. You know why he had the balls and the clubs? For me. <laughs> when, we, um, when we left um, Yellville, he said, hey, Whit. Now, he's in hospice, but he's not in good shape. He threw me the ball. Boom, boom. Church. And by the way, he said, like all Christians do in hospice, he said, it's okay, Mike, it's okay. It's okay. He meant it. And that's what I would say, I, I pray, that's what you would say, and that's what you've heard over and over and over again from your family and your friends. It's okay. It's okay. And you know what? It really is okay, because the time will come when I'll be there. In fact, I told Cliff, I said, Cliff, you know that you may bury me. We don't know that. We have no idea. What we need to do in the meantime is understand true godly friendship. A friend lifts you when you're down. Do you want to cherish your friendships and establish other friendships? Let me tell you how to do it. We've got a new preacher coming here in June. I pray in a short period of time, he's everyone's best friend. And how do we make that happen? We make it happen by getting involved, 
by lifting him up, by keeping him warm when those emotional and spiritual moments are cold and protecting him. Just like we lift each other up, we keep each other warm, and we protect each other. I'd like to invite the shepherds to walk down front here. We're going to be uh, having a moment of prayer. And what I'd like for us to do as God's people is for each of you to think of your dear, godly friends. If they're here, and I know they are, you're welcome to go to them and spend some time in prayer. Or you can come down and pray with one of our elders or pray with anyone. Intercessory prayer. I asked Cliff, what do you want me to pray for? And he told me what he wanted me to pray for. And that's what I'm praying for. None of your business, it's our business. But that's a good question. What do you want me to pray for? Lift your fellows in prayer. That's what the body of Christ does. And we do it all the time. And let's do it right now as we stand together, Thomas, and sing.